Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power, we will go by your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning, good morning. Have you ever um have you ever bought something and then later on like wondered why maybe you came home uh, from a foreign country and you know something that was meaningful in that context is now strange in the context where you are trying to live with it have you ever bought something that you now wonder what to do with it yeah you can text me your answer to that question at 877-933-2484 i'm carmen laburge you're listening to mornings with carmen this is faith radio uh, if you're new here, welcome. Thank you so much for including me in your day. We're trying to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day. And sometimes a headline catches my attention and I feel, well, led to talk about it. So here we go. In the New York Times, in the magazine portion of the New York Times, there is a column called The Ethicist. And actually, I often find this uh, this series very interesting and I don't often find opportunity to draw the thread into our conversation. But this one, well, frankly, I just couldn't resist. So this one is entitled, Long Ago, I Bought a Human Skull. What should I do with it? And so um, the the conversation is about making commercial use of human remains. It's a very um, wide-ranging conversation. But here is here is how the conversation starts. In the 1970s, as a middle school science teacher, I bought a preserved human skull from an educational supply company. Now, let's just start there for a moment. Um, Where are they getting these human skulls? And how many of them are sitting on shelves somewhere at an educational supply company? These are the questions that uh, I am led to ask. Uh, The writer goes on. I did so in part for my own and my students' education and wonderment and in part to have a fascinating conversation piece that I could put on my mantle. And at the time, it was entirely legal. Since then, statutes have uh, oscillated between permitting this commerce on human remains and outlawing it. So there are periods of time in which um, it's legal and sometimes that it's illegal, which would lead us to a conversation about uh, sort of the status of things and how when um, particularly in a democracy like ours, public opinion moves on a certain topic. That which is understood to be moral or immoral then becomes legal or illegal. And that is some shifting sand. And so I think as Christians, that is a talking point um, to include here as well. Um, But this person actually, over the course of their life, clearly develops from a purely scientific worldview to a more supernatural and spiritual worldview. And I think that is an important storyline or thread to pull as well. Um, The writer says, over the years, I've become more and more uncomfortable when I think about um, this person and whether or not um, the skull is being treated with the kind of care and respect due the person. So uh, the the writer has actually gone into this extensive effort to have the DNA identified and on and on and on. 
um, and and says at one point, well, that that's not possible. The the skull has been sort of cleansed of all of that. Um, but the writer says this: I would like to return it to a family, or at least place it with a culturally congruent temple, mosque, or church for disposition. I want you to just think about that for a moment, that that's where this former middle school science teacher lands. They would like to see the body, this this part of a person's body, either returned to the family um, to do with what they will, right? Dispose of it in some dignified way according to um, that family. Or, this I find fascinating, at least place it with a culturally congruent temple, mosque, or church for disposition. A culturally congruent temple, mosque, or church for disposition. A hundred years from now, somebody digs up your skull. How are they going to know what would be a culturally congruent temple, mosque, or church for disposition? (laughs) They're not. They're not. That's not possible. Your bones don't tell that story. That's a story that you and I tell in the living of these days. So uh, I thought it would make for an interesting uh, conversation topic today with those you love best in the world. I mean, let's be talking about the disposition of our bodies. Let's talk about why bodies matter, because matter matters. Let's talk about creation. Let's talk about the incarnation. Let's talk about the resurrection. Let's talk about... um, Uh, why it matters, uh, what happens to our bodies and how we treat them, temples of the Holy Spirit, on and on and on. Up next, I'm going to ask Dr. Peter Kapsner, what's the weirdest thing he's ever bought? And what would he do with a human skull? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Peter Kapsner is back for the conversation that he anticipates having all week, but never knows until just the moment what the conversation will be about. Hello, good sir. <laughs> hey, Carmen. Yeah, I think today it was seven. It was two minutes after seven o'clock Central Time, <laughs> which was about I don't know what eight minutes ago that I know what the conversation's going to be. I love it. I, I feel like that's how a real conversation happens. Indeed, indeed, and and I think in answer to your question, the weirdest thing. See, I'm not a weird um, thing. You don't buyer. buy weird my, stuff. My, no. Yeah, no, my son is. He comes home from Goodwill, which is the craziest stuff. Mm-hmm. He loves it. I think for me, though, when you talk about buying things that you regret, it's mm-hmm. always fudge. It's it's fudge for me every time. <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the fudge shop and I just get like completely smitten by the liquid fudge uh, and the marble slab. It's cooling. I think it tastes good. And then I get it home and literally within uh, eight hours, I don't know what to do with it. I You put it in the uh, fridge. It comes out kind of crumbly. It doesn't taste like it does in the store. So every time... I, I just get sucked in to buy the fudge and then I regret it much later. Okay. I feel with that answer that my answer then is pie because <laughs> like the pie, pie at home is pie? so good because yeah. our pie at home is so good and everywhere else pie is disappointing. It's really true. Uh, it, you, you're actually right. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they, if they put preservatives or what they do, it's but just, you're right. Yeah. I had some blueberry you have pie to eat the other pie night. At home. Yeah. Die for. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, parental notification 
public schools. What in the world is going on with our kids? I sent you the story from the Washington Post about this um, student who came out to his English teacher um, and did not, um, the, the school did not notify this child's parent parents um, that they were identifying differently at school, sometimes day to day, identifying differently, being called by different names. Um, just talk with us about what is going on. What in the world is going on in the world? Um, schools say they do not have a responsibility to um, notify parents. In fact, they understand themselves to have a moral obligation of confidentiality to the student. Yeah, I think there's two different angles from which we can talk about this topic. And and one of it is the role of parents versus the role of the school. Uh, But also, too, just the the perception of um, what it means to grow up as a healthy young person, not just in our country, but even in places like Europe where uh, homeschool in a lot of countries is banned and and, uh, because they want young people to really learn how to be a proper civic kind of person. But let's talk about the first angle in terms of um, that idea that the school is the place where it's going to be a safe place to come out um, with whatever version of sexuality that you're wondering about, confused about, have some questions about, that that would be the safe place, Carmen, and the home would somehow not be the safe place for that to happen. And that, that is so upside down in terms of how we're meant to act. And it doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean that there are uh, all kinds of safe homes where where kids feel comfortable talking about these things with their parents. I would say that's probably not the norm in a lot of different households. But I think when we've taken it to this place, and and I need to qualify or a disclaimer on this this upcoming remark, uh, because I have a lot of friends and family in the public school system, and there are a lot of really, really, really lovely, good people, longtime uh, servants within so many uh, school systems that care deeply about the kids. But I also was a public school teacher for a short period of time. And my wife, Hallie, has been for even a longer period of time. And what I can say is that the conversations that go on behind the scenes uh, tend to the, the most common ones tend to be we know better in the schools than the parents do. And so we need to take these kids in. And there even is kind of this semi-aggressive or pseudo-aggressive move to have kids uh, become their own people, which requires uh, some degree the breakdown of the family. And and one more comment on that, Um, sociology classes in many, many secular universities, they do aim to say some of our greatest social ills uh, are relate to the nuclear family. And so it's our job to deconstruct the nuclear family so that our young people can be healthy active citizens and not be uh, oppressed by their family structures. So schools have taken that and they really do then fancy themselves as the safe place for kids to come out. And frankly, Carmen, kids often are in school for six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours a day, and maybe they're in their house for a couple hours a day. And so it's created an environment that really is upside down where schools feel like, and even past, uh, past internal rules that say, if you come out here at school, we're not going to tell your family about it. And uh, it gets really wonky really fast. Yeah, I encourage people to um, to access and read uh, the full article at the Washington Post on this topic because it actually is really, really good. Gender, gender transition, um, school and parental notification. Um, if you want the link, you can find it in the show notes for today when you grab the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. We're going to pivot and we're going to talk about the church. So this is going to be a wide-ranging conversation about the church. So I want you to be 
thinking about your local church. I want you to be thinking about churches in your community, the changes in denominations that you're aware of. All of that up next on Mornings with Carmen. Peter, I have to bring you up to speed on what's going on on the text line. By the way, you guys can always text me, 877-933-2484. People weighing in on all parts and portions of our conversation, weird (laughs) things they've bought or other people have bought, um, conversations about uh, the discovery of um, a whole cupboard of human skulls (laughs) when a brother-in-law was cleaning out a cabinet. I don't think I will disclose where. Um, uh, Jessica says... um, the the weirdest thing people come back with uh, tchotchkes from all kinds of trips the most offensive one was a dream catcher and some things that belonged to a native american culture symbolizing um symbolizing foreign gods and once i realized what they represented um i then had to decide like what to do with them see that's the challenge right you don't necessarily want to throw them away they're meaningful to someone you don't want to take them to a thrift store because you don't really want anyone else to have them um i mean I- anyway there you go um <laughs> Uh, on and on and on and on and on. Uh, Lori wanted to remind us that apparently Michael Jackson bought the bones of John Merrick. I don't. I. Don't, I'm just like right. Like there's was weird John stuff Merrick going on. The Elephant Man is that who John that's Merrick was? Exactly. I think that's yes. right. I'm pretty sure that's yes. correct. That's amazing. I'm telling you, there's some crazy stuff going on out there. And this is a very robust conversation among a lot of people this morning. So everybody's got their coffee and they're all tuned in and teed up. So tell us what's going on with the church. Um, Here are some headlines um, for conversational fodder. Mm -hmm. Churches in Newfoundland are being sold off to pay the legal debts of the archdiocese for sins committed by priests from Ireland who were in Canada to run an orphanage back in the 40s, 50s and 60s. Um, It's a complicated, complicated story. But uh, at the you know, at the root of it is are these now these parishioners, um, these these Catholic parishioners, regular, you know, folks who've been. Uh, paying to build the buildings and maintain them and insure them and heat them over time. And they're now competing with developers to buy back their own church buildings um, because they found out, oh, actually, we were just holding our buildings in trust, all of our assets in trust for the archdiocese. Um, That leads to another conversation about um, uh, church sales uh, across the country and um, churches being used for all kinds of non-sacred purposes. And then... Uh, a story related to the United Methodist Church literally coming apart at the seams. Hundreds of churches, not only in Florida, but now across the country, um, suing to get out of the United Methodist Church and enter a more conservative um, version of Methodism. So there's a lot mm-hmm. going on. And I just thought, you know, let's have a conversation about the church. Yeah, it's really disrupting right now. There's no question about it. We, I, I think historians, Carmen, are going to look back at this season or this era. And by this season or era, I mean it's probably going to turn out to be somewhere between a 20 to 50 year era. But I think they're going to look back and say, so this was um, maybe the end of what uh, I'll define in just a second, but maybe the end of Western Christendom. And, and Christendom can be defined as a season in which the church is enjoying a lot of social influence through maybe the educational system, through the political system. Um, it's going to have quite a bit of economic power as well. And Christendom really started when Christianity got legalized by Emperor Constantine in the Roman Empire around the fourth century, 
where it went from a series of more home movements and, and catacombs movements and below the surface, often reviled, often persecuted, uh, but powerful nonetheless. I mean, the, the, the witness that the church bore prior to um, becoming the state religion of Rome was a really beautiful, powerful, calling out witness uh, that, that people really responded to because they were so different. But then the church wedded itself to so many different kinds of um, powers that exist in this world. That's been going on for 1,500 years. And if people just want to Google the end of Christendom, they're going to go ahead and see a, a lot of authors, a lot of books, a lot of academic people, a lot of pastors that are recognizing that this whole thing is crumbling from a wide variety of angles. You, you have what you've just described in some of those headlines of um, churches that had a quite a bit of corruption in them, and so they lost a lot of members. You had churches that gave up their financial rights uh, to to trusts, and so they don't have any real authority over their buildings. You have plenty of churches that are that are empty and just simply uh, because people, especially the next generation, isn't as interested in going to that version of church. So it's disruptive, and it can feel a bit uh, uh, scary. Uh, it's it's anxiety-creating. It just there, There's not that same stability many people maybe grew up with. But I think in all of that, there's going to be a tremendous opportunity, because what we know for sure version of the is changing. God's kingdom is not at all under threat. It's just going to start expressing itself. Carmen, I think for people that uh, want to get with their kids and their grandkids talking about what does life as a follower of Jesus look like community? Okay, because that's really the definition of the church as a follower of Jesus within community. And, and you sort it out from there. There's a lot of different opportunities about how we gather and where we gather and how we bear witness in the world. So the the point of all of that is that I do think, and, and you know, who knows? Neither you nor me are going to be around in 100 years to know what historians write. But it sure seems that they're going to reflect back and say, wow, unbelievably time where we saw the end of 1500 years of Christendom in, in the Western world. But yet at the same time, I bet they'll say, huh, funny enough, followers of Jesus still exist. They're still carrying the story. They're still shining light in the world. So we do, I just want to make sure that in the anxiety creating that we recognize that our opportunity to bear witness is not going to diminish. In fact, in some ways, it might even strengthen if it goes back to some ways in which people in those first few centuries lived their life together. I had a back and forth yesterday, and I'll, I'll share this briefly as you and I conclude this conversation. I had a back and forth yesterday with a, um, a pastor in Mississippi who, you know, is like an old friend who reconnected, and he was uh, looking for some reflection on the recent meeting of the Presbyterian Church USA, their General Assembly, and, you know, sort of what I was hearing about it, because that used to kind of be my job. And, um, and we talked uh, briefly about that, and then he said, you know, it's a real stumbling block for people who move to our community um, who are... Um, you know, looking for a a, a quote unquote Presbyterian or or Reformed church, um, but they're not looking for one in the PCUSA. And as soon as they, you know, they come and they visit us and they love what they experience here because he is an evangelical pastor and um, he's certainly Orthodox in his beliefs, but he's in a denomination. His church is in a denomination that is clearly apostate. And so, uh, you know, these people come and they visit and and they move on as soon as they find out that it's the congregation is affiliated with the PCUSA. And he says, now, however, God is bringing us growth, but it's from people who, you know, are, are it's conversion, people coming yeah. to faith in Christ, and they don't know anything about 
mm. which variety or br- branch of, of they just know this experience of church. They only know this local expression. That's it. And they don't care. They don't care that it says Presbyterian on the sign or doesn't. And they certainly don't care, you know, what the little letters are that follow that. And so I do I think that, that um, yeah, I do think that, you know, God continues to bring people to faith uh, in Jesus and he continues to knit them into congregations. Um, and so the debates about denominationalism are less important to people coming to faith than they are for people who sort of recognize all of uh, of the dot and tittle um, of, of denominational uh, shenanigans is what I will call them. Yeah. Yeah. We no, got to leave it right awesome. there. Yeah, We're like exactly crazy right. over time. Um, Peter, we love talking with you. Uh, go go look in the cupboards and the closets and, you know, see what loot <laughs> See what loot persists. All right, we got to take a break for terrifying. break point. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaVerge, and this is Faith Radio. When I say the word worship, where does your heart go? When I say the word worship, where does your heart go? Are you in the throne room of God? What does it feel like? What is the sensory experience of worship for you? How do we feel truth? And how is truth reflected in the songs we sing and the prayers we pray and the community we enjoy in the context of shared worship? Kirk Sowers is going to join us um, now. We are talking about the Wood Drake sessions. Um, and, and we're going to have a conversation about how you feel truth. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome to the first church of mercy, where the doors of love swing open wide. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Kirk Sowers is joining us. He is a worship pastor. He is a songwriter. He is a part of a collaborative effort called the Wood Drake Sessions. Kirk, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. It's really a joy to be here. All right, this is really fun. So um, maybe, maybe let's do this. Um, what's it been like since May? Ha. Since May of 2022, is that what we're talking? Yeah, about? isn't that? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'm like looking at just kind of the pace and the course of time, and it feels like since um, you guys started releasing from the valley to the Golden Shore, um, like right, life has changed a little yes. bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we we released it right at the right at the end of April, and uh, it's been it's been really good, very encouraging. Um, uh, as you just mentioned, we we released our our full album, and uh, and it's been it's been awesome. It's been you know we we've spent two years essentially on this record, and uh, <clears throat> so it's sort of a long wait for us to to get the music out in full, and uh, we're just finally did to get the full project out, uh, finally glad to get the full project out. And just, uh, it's been encouraging to hear, uh, people, uh, just respond the way they have to the music. 
So people, you know, it's, it's kind of fun, you know, to hear people singing your songs. Um, talk with us about how uh, how these songs came together and then how the project came together, because this is a unique uh, this is a unique story. Yes. Yeah. That's sort of why I asked May of 2022, because a lot of, uh, you know, this story started in uh, around uh, March, April, May of 2020, um, because we uh uh, as as we all know, things shut down during that time, and uh, my friend and collaborator uh, Paul, who's unable to be here with us this morning, um, we wrote all these songs. But we were just uh, friends from uh, we we both used to live in Nashville, Tennessee, and we met on a songwriting retreat there. And long story short, we both moved. I moved to South Carolina. Paul moved to Colorado. But the uh, pandemic w- was sort of a a reconnecting point for the two of us and uh when things shut down uh we we started writing music and uh and it wasn't like we set out to just do this project that we were doing really the spirit of it was when we when we got together we were uh we both loved and feel called to to writing songs but a lot of it was just we were bringing our um our emotions, our confusions, our frustrations, whatever those things were, whatever the emotion of the day was, we were bringing that uh, uh, to um, the table to write together. And we wrote uh, all these songs uh, about 1,500 miles apart on Zoom. Uh, and so we, we were just, um, yeah, uh, writing in, in light of the things that we were kind of going through during the pandemic. So Kirk is a songwriter and a worship leader based in Augusta, Georgia. We are talking with him about the Wood Drake Sessions um, and projects related to that. You can find Kirk at Kirk Sowers, and that is spelled with an A in there, S-A-U-E-R-S, KirkSowers.com. Um, talk with me a little bit about your context of ministry, because I know that you are a worship leader. I, I think you also do some campus ministry um, but you're a singer songwriter. Like, I feel like this is how Christian musicians, um, are doing it today. They're either doing it the way you're doing it or they're, you know, like writing books and crossing over into other media. So talk with us about your context of ministry and how that kind of grounds what you're doing as a singer songwriter. Did we lose Kirk? All right. All right. It's not that he didn't like our question about the church because I know his heart is for the church. So. <laughs> We are going to reconnect with Kirk Sowers here in just a moment. Um, if you want to check out the uh, the music related to this, I know some of you are just like total music lovers. And so this is really fun to to be able to talk with a musician about his story and how he got into Christian um, songwriting in particular. The project is called the Wood Drake Sessions, um, and so that is uh, something that you can check out as well. But when you think about worship and you think about worship music, when you think about what leads you into the presence of God and helps you rest there or stay there or exalt God um, in the midst of singing, I want you to think about who writes those songs. Because Christian um, musicians, Christian singers and songwriters, um, they are the ones who help us enter in. So when you think about your life song, what what helps your life song sing, um, when you think about uh, the things you can only imagine, 
when you think about God's amazing grace, when you think about loving to tell the story, I don't know about you, but every single time I say one of those phrases, right, a song enters my heart and mind. And someone, some Christian who is a songwriter wrote that down, and then somebody set it to a melody, and then somebody produced it and published it, and and somebody put it on air, and somebody sang it in worship enough times that I learned it. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I could sing it. It would be poor singing, but I could sing it. So um, I want to be grateful and thankful for Christians who are singers and songwriters and worship leaders. And um, Kirk, uh, Kirk Sowers is an example of that. Um, he serves at a, a historic church in Augusta, Georgia. He also serves in campus ministry. Um, and one of the things that he and his uh, collaborator, Paul Ranheim, really focus on and talk about a lot is helping a people feel truth. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. I want you to think about how you feel truth and how certain music helps you do that. Kirk, hey, welcome back. Sorry, we uh, lost you there. Hey. The technology, you know, sometimes yeah, complicated. No um, ta- talk <laughs> no about uh, talk about helping um, helping people feel truth as they sing. Yes, yeah, that's that's a big part of um, kind of what we. Uh, really have valued throughout this, um, project that we've done. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I think, I think it's, you know, it's pretty obvious that, that music and just art in general is such a, a catalyst to just help stir our, our hearts and our affections and, and, and really the things that we feel. And, uh, yeah, you know, music has just such a power to do that. I think so often as um as Christians um we're, we we can sort of reduce our faith down to what we know about the faith. And so we can know what the scripture says and we can know um you know our our theological have our idea of what our theological framework is. And that's important to know, but we're so much more than thinking beings. You know, we're we're being we're human beings that feel, and uh, so much of the 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 scripture um, calls on us to um, uh, to to do things like delight in the Lord, and so much of the Psalms walks us through lament and all these feelings, and so it is so important to tap in. Not only, not only to what we know about God, but to what we, uh, but but to how the things that we know connect to our hearts, so that our hearts can be moved to love God, um, and um, and to, and to tap in and channel our our emotions, whatever those emotions mm-hmm. be. And music has such a powerful effect to do that, and that was a big part of uh, in our songwriting process for the Woodrick sessions we really wanted to um uh to help help us not only use imagery and metaphors that help kind of make something come alive about who God is i i, I think about a, a lyric in one of our songs grace will prevail 
It says, uh, grace will prevail through the wreckage and storm and the brokenness washed on the shore. You know, just using these imagery that, that, that hopefully stir our hearts to, to be moved uh, in a fresh way beyond just knowing what is true, but feeling what is true. Yeah, I love, um, I love those lyrics as well. Grace will prevail, though an ocean we cry he is with us and weeps by our side till the day they forever run dry. Those are some of the lyrics of Grace Will Prevail, which is a part of the From the Valley to the Golden Shore, which is a full-length debut worship album from the Wood Drake Sessions. And we're going to continue our conversation with Kirk Sowers next. But you can, um, you can download and stream From the Valley to the Golden Shore wherever you get your music. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio, and we'll be right back. All right, that's a little uh, little bit of oh how God oh how good to be together. Oh God to be together. It's good to be together with God. It's good to be together with God's people. It's good to be together today with. Kirk Sowers, that is a little bit of Oh How Good to Be Together. Who's that voice we're hearing? Because that's not uh that's not you or Paul. <laughs> yes, that's definitely not us. Uh that is Sandra McCracken. So any fans of Sandra McCracken, she was uh graciously a part of our project and we, we were able to uh really the whole project is sort of a collective style. We've invited in a lot of different artists. Um, Sandra is one of them. Uh, Leslie Jordan from All Sons and Daughters was a part of our project. Um, and to, just to name a couple, but we're we're just so uh, thrilled about the different voices that we've had on our project. So um, I love the content. I love the language you use. I love the images that you draw upon uh, in the songs uh, that are on the From the Valley to the Golden Shore project. Um, talk with us a little bit about the title, From the Valley to the Golden Shore. Yeah, so um, that's actually a lyric from the little snippet you just heard from the song, Oh, How Good to Be Together. And really, uh you know, as I mentioned, when we started writing these songs, it, it really wasn't this, hey, let's write a record. It was sort of like, hey, let's write what we're going through. And as we began to write more and more songs, we really noticed uh, really this theme of hope just kind of flooding every song. And you'll, if you go listen to our, our album uh, in full, you'll really feel... Uh, just that theme of hope in God throughout the whole thing. And I think that uh, that's just a lyric from the song that just basically uh, gives a picture of, uh, hey, throughout the valley, um, God is always going to be with us, and he is going to lead us to the golden shore. And that's our, uh, that's our great hope, even as we sit in the valley now. Yeah, I think um, it, this image of of movement um, from sort of the pandemic lockdown and not being with one another in worship, um, but the hope mm-hmm. set before us and the desire to reconnect and be back together and reunion. And it's, it's just all in here and it's all just so good. Um, let me ask about your context of ministry, um, because my yeah. audience knows that sometimes I make stuff up. I have in my mind that in addition to leading congregational worship and um, and being a singer-songwriter. You also are engaged in campus ministry. Is is that true? 
Uh, it was true. I used to be in campus ministry for, for years. And uh, oh. current in my current role right now, uh, I'm not in campus ministry. I'm primarily just a, a worship pastor here in uh, uh, Augusta. So, okay, I love that. Okay, so we'll talk about talk about ministry, um, and because ministry, like your context now, is in worship leadership, um, and mm-hmm. in obviously sharing with others um, the the art of uh, of sung of the sung word. Like that is a huge gift to everyone, the broader church mm-hmm. as well. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the my guess is that you minister in the spirit of Christ as you go, regardless of the context you find yourself in. Um, campus right. ministry was one context, and now worship leadership is you know a somewhat different context. Um, and you right. also then have this wider ministry um, to you know to the larger church. Can you just talk a little bit about your your identity in Christ and how that's expressed um, in various ministry settings? Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, where would I be without uh, my local church? And uh, I, I would, you know, that 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 last song um, that kind of we've been talking about. Oh, how good to be together! Uh, just being together with my local context, serving in my local context. Um, man, what what a great need that I have in that, and that we all have. And I think that. Um, so much of just the the weekly day in and even day out uh, reminders that um, uh, I'm loved by God, I'm secure in God, uh, He's with me. <laughs> I, I can't really grasp those things uh, all by myself. I really need my fam, my church family uh, around me to. Uh, I not only need to hear that from God's word, but I also need to hear those affirmations from from God's people around me. And so, just serving in my local context is is so uh, it's so huge to just my uh, any any flourishing in the faith um, that there would be. I, I need to have that with God's people because I'm a part of the body of Christ. And and really, honestly, the, this ministry to the wider church, I think, is so with the Woodrick sessions is, is very much, um, fed and fueled by, by that. I love that. Hey, are you, um, a Florida Gator? <laughs> I am. I love the Gators. So, so <laughs> am I. Oh, well, go Gators. And we I am, that exactly. on the radio with, with so- <laughs> right. Not very often do we get to celebrate with a, uh, with a fellow Gator, um, on, on That's the radio. Right. Um, I have a family history there, Seth. I love that. All right, we'll have to catch up um, uh, on that sometime as well. Um, Maybe on that uh, that Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend when we uh, make the Seminoles, you know, so shamefully regret (laughs) that they oppose us. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, or maybe the Florida Georgia line. Either one, you know. Um, So. yeah, one of the two. Um, I also have a deep history uh, in in the Presbyterian Church, and so appreciate your service um, there uh, at, at First Augusta. It's um, just there are some places and spaces that um, continue to generation over generation, right? Um, continue to bear faithful witness in local communities, and that is a church that um, I remember having a conversation with at some point um, that you know they were taking a hundred year view. Um, yeah. And some yeah. sometimes churches take like, you know, a one year view 
And if you're only going to take or even a 10 year view, then you're, you know, whatever's going on uh, politically and culturally tends to overwhelm um, what's going on in the, you know, sort of the redemptive history that God's working out uh, over time. And that's a church that takes a hundred year view. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate that they get that they're going to be there generation to generation um, come what may. And, uh, and, and so I just love and appreciate that about the congregation that uh, in particular that you serve. So thank you for your witness. Thank you for being a brother in Christ. Thank you for leading us into worship that gives God his glory and edifies people. The project is from the Valley to the Golden Shore. Um, you can check out the full, uh, Wood Drake sessions, right? As well. And you can certainly connect with Kirk. Um, uh, Sowers uh, on his website. So I invite you to check out the project and follow Kirk. Um, I'm now doing that on Twitter, um, but you can find him uh, on all the socials. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, it was such a pleasure, and uh, thank you for the invitation to be here. Absolutely. And I live in Nashville. If you you know, you and your family ever oh, need a place to hang out. Yeah. There you go. We'll, we'll, we'll connect. Good to know. We'll connect. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Um, blessings. Blessings on your day. That's Kirk. Uh, that's Kirk Sowers. You should connect with him and uh, the Wood Drake Sessions as well as their latest project. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So what is the song that uh, your heart sings? What's your what's your life song? We talk about having a life verse. Um, where does your heart go when I say the word worship? Let's find ourselves today in the presence of the living God. Let's glorify him with all that we are and all that we have and all that we do. Let's give God the glory. Do his name today. Amen. Hey, I love the time that we spend together. You can uh, always communicate with me in the off hours. My email is carmen at myfaithradio.com. And that's the website that you want to visit to sign up for the verse of the day, to share your faith radio story. We talked about Jesus as the story changer, and we talked about uh, how we are uh, a reflection of and a part of that story. So it invites you to share your faith radio story with us at myfaithradio.com. Yeah, tons of good stuff there. Don't miss it. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.